Most of the people that have the greatest influence in our lives are people that we spend a lot of time with. But every now and then, there's someone who influences our lives in really significant ways that we never even meet through their writing or through their teaching. And uh, this past Friday, a pastor who's had a tremendous influence on my own life passed away and went to be with Jesus, Pastor Tim Keller, who pastored in New York City, a wonderful church called Redeemer. And at just the right time in my life, God sovereignly brought his teachings and his ministry and his writings to me. Uh, genuinely believe that outside of my father and my mother, there's no pastor or minister that has been more influential in my own life. And I'm super grateful for the way in which the way he taught and talked about the gospel didn't just help me do the same, but it actually helped me navigate some really difficult seasons of life. I really shudder to think what I would have been like or what would have happened to me if I had walked through certain things without understanding the gospel the way that his teaching helped me to understand. And so it was really kind of interesting this week as we were processing his sickness. He had pancreatic cancer, which is what my father had, and we were seeing that his life was coming to an end. Uh, it was interesting as I was working on this message to realize that in the first week of our seven-week series on our values, our first value is gospel. So it's kind of cool this morning to be talking about this value that was, my understanding of it was so much shaped by his teaching and his ministry. And if you like anything about how I teach or anything about how we communicate here at Trinity, it's probably been shaped quite a bit by his ministry. And so I just want to honor him. When we talk about the gospel, we're talking about a truth that is two things. It's central to Christianity and it's unique to Christianity. The gospel, the good news about who Jesus is and what he did for us, is right at the center of Christianity. If you move the gospel from the center, you have something other than the Christian faith. But the gospel is central, and the gospel is unique. Many other religions offer you ways to be saved through your own performance and your own efforts, but the gospel simply says you never could. That's the bad news. We're more sinful and flawed than we would ever dare believe. But the other half of the gospel, the good news is this, yet we are more loved and accepted than we would ever dare hope. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the gospel, and we're going to look at a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This was a letter written by a man named Paul, who was an apostle in the early church. He started churches all over the known world, and this was a church that he started. This was a church that he loved. He knew these people. He spent 18 months with them when the church was first getting off the ground, and this is the second letter that he wrote to them that we have in the scriptures. However, we know that this is actually probably the fourth letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. We just happen to only have two of them, and 2 Corinthians is one of Paul's Paul's most personal, uh, heart-on-his-sleeve letters that he ever wrote. He loves these people, and yet these people, as often happens when you love someone, are the source of great heartbreak to him because they're not really getting it. And so here he is in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, reminding them of the gospel truth. And I want us to read together verses 17 through 21. The Apostle Paul says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation, or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses or their sins against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of God, or Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then verse 21, which might be my favorite verse in all of the Bible, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. For, for, for our sake, God made Jesus who never sinned to become sin, so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's the gospel in a nutshell. And there's three things that we learn from this text about the gospel. And the first thing is this, the gospel is a gift. The gospel is a gift. This was a week of gifts for us and our family. It started last Sunday with Mother's Day, where after church we went and celebrated Mother's Day with my mom and my wife and my sister, and lots of gifts were given to the moms. And then on Wednesday night, we were all in Binghamton uh, for a celebration, a retirement dinner for Pastor Bill Kirk, who many of you know, he's retiring from his ministry position with the New York Assemblies of God, and uh, he'll continue to work into the summer, but this was his retirement banquet, and, and he was given gifts. And then Thursday was the 15th birthday of my nephew, Carter, and we celebrated him, and he received gifts. And then Friday, my own daughter, my old, our oldest daughter, one of three, she turned 15. So lots of gifts this week. I didn't get a single gift this week, but it's okay. It's not a, it's not a, big, it's not a big deal. But everyone else around me seemed to be getting gifts. And when you watch people receive gifts, how many of you know that some people are great at receiving gifts? And some people are kind of awkward when they receive gifts. It's like you open a gift and all of a sudden you don't know what to do with your hands and your face and your words. Uh, and then some people, like my wife Erin, if you give her a gift and she opens it, what she will say to you next will make you feel so special, <laughs> so valued, like you are the most thoughtful person in the world. And then some people are like, this, what, is, what is this, right? Awkward, grateful, humbled, moved, lots of normal responses to opening gifts. But what you should never see when someone opens a gift from someone else is pride. Because there's really no room for pride when you've received a gift. Because a gift is not earned. And Paul in this passage is trying to teach us that the gospel is a gift. We didn't earn this. We don't deserve this. We did nothing to contribute to this. This is a gift. And here's how Paul says in verse 18, these simple five words, all this is from God. All this is from God. Not some of this, not half of this, not most of this, not 99.9% .9 of this. All of this is from God. And at the center of the Christian faith is this life-changing, heart-shaping, turning the world upside down truth claim that God did for you and me what you and I could never have done for ourselves. That's the gospel. God did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. What God required, God provided. The gospel is a gift. The gospel is the good news. So the word gospel actually comes from the Greek word evangelion, which was a word that was used thousands of years ago to describe the person who would take the good news from the battlefront that the king and his army had won and get on his horse and ride as fast as he could all the way back to the towns and the villages that the king represented, and they would run and ride through the village declaring the good news. The king has won. We have won the battle. We're safe and we're secure. 
And that person was called the Evangelion because they would come through with this good news. And the declaration of this good news would change the attitudes and the outlooks and the lives of the people who received it. And this gospel truth of who Jesus is and what he's done should do the same for us. As we hear the gospel proclaimed, as we sing the gospel this morning, it should change our attitudes. It should change our beliefs. It should change our values. It should change our outlook on life. It should change our lives itself. The gospel is good news, not good advice. And so many people think, well, the Christian faith is just about good advice. Here's how you live and here's how you shouldn't live. And while the Bible does give us some pretty good advice on a lot of important things, the gospel is not primarily good advice. It's primarily good news. Nine years ago, I had the opportunity to give the commencement address at Faith Heritage School's graduation. And in that talk, I talked about the difference between good news and good advice. And this is what I said to the graduating class that year. I said, good advice is about what you must do, but good news is about what's been done for you. Good advice fills your mind, but good news shapes your heart. Good advice might change how you live, but good news will change what you love. Good advice is, will assist you in your pursuit of acceptance and approval, but good news assures you that you are accepted and you are approved by the Father because of Jesus' work on your behalf. Good advice requires you to achieve something, but good news invites you to receive something. Good advice inspires you to finish well, but good news assures us it is finished. And going through life carrying good advice in your head is good, but going through life, especially the tough moments of life, carrying good news in your heart is better. The gospel is a gift, and the gift of good news, not good advice. And this is a good, the gift is that we did not save ourselves. We could not. Jonathan Edwards says it this way. He says, the only thing that you and I contributed to our salvation was the sin that made the salvation necessary. So if you want to pat yourself on the back about that, go ahead. But we did not save ourselves. We are not our own saviors. There is only one savior and his name is Jesus. Even our response to God's grace is a work of God's grace in us. Now actually, while this sounds like good news to many, it's very offensive news to some. Because some people, they don't wanna hear that they can't save themselves. They actually want to save themselves. Because if they save themselves, then they can just thank themselves and they feel like they can maintain some level of control over their salvation. The last thing we want to be told is that we're helpless and that we can't do anything. And yet the gospel says that to us, that we could not save ourselves, yet Jesus stepped in to save us. Also, we don't like this to be true because if we understand the gospel of grace, we realize that this is a costly message. And here's what I mean. If you did your part, if it's 50-50, you did 50% and God did 50% or you did 10% and God did 90%, then you can say to God when life is hard and things aren't going your way, God, you owe me better. Don't you know I put in 10%. I put in 50%. I did my part. But if it's all grace, then there's nothing he can't ask of us. That's scary and that's costly. Yet that's the gospel message. It's all grace. So when we walk through things, we know that we can trust God with it. We have to be careful not to get this wrong. Years ago, I was doing some research on something, and I came across this really bizarre statistic. This is probably 15 years ago. And that year, I learned that more people that year died from vending machines than from sharks. <laughs> Crazy, right? 
You're never going to see vending machine week on the animal planet. But uh, more people that year died from vending machines than sharks. I'm not just talking about eating too much food out of a vending machine. What would happen is this. I mean, you've, you've seen this. You've been there. You, you, you see a vending machine, and it's like 75 cents for your favorite candy bar or bag of chips or drink. And you're like, man, I, well, do I have 75 cents? And you go to your car, and you're digging under your seats. You go to a couch, and you're digging down and grabbing every last penny and nickel and dime that you can find in your office. And then you finally you find that last nickel so that you have enough money, and you run out to the vending machine, and you very carefully put in each coin. And then you very carefully choose the combination of letter and number because you ever make a mistake there and get the wrong thing? I have. So you really carefully B, 9, make sure it's the right one. And then all of a sudden that metal spiral thing starts to twist and that bag of chips that you're craving starts to get closer and closer to you. And then it just stops and it's just hanging there, taunting you, <laughs> making, making fun of you. What do we do in those moments? We, we, don't ever, we don't ever say, well, God, whatever your will is for my life. I, I receive this as, as uh, that I don't need those calories, so thank you, Lord, for looking out for me. No, we, we get frustrated. We, we start to, you know, smack the thing a little bit, hoping we can jar it loose. Or if you're really hangry, you might grab that thing and start shaking it. And that's how people die from vending machines. They grab those things, they start shaking them so much that they pull the vending machine on top of themselves and it kills them. And that year, more people died that way from shark, than from sharks. Now, here's what you'll never see happen at a vending machine. You'll never see someone put in their coins or their dollar bills, push the button, reach under, grab the drink or the snack that they bought, pull it out, look at it, and then fall on their knees and begin to worship the vending machine. You'll never see it. You'll never see someone reach down there, grab their Gatorade, fall on their knees. Oh, great, generous, kind vending machine. You are the only vending machine I will ever frequent for the rest of my life. I will be faithful to you forever. I worship you and I adore you. Why? Why not? Because it was a transaction. You put in what you were supposed to and you got out what it was supposed to do. And sometimes the danger of misunderstanding the gospel and misunderstanding that the gospel is a gift, when we think that we have somehow earned God's forgiveness or we somehow deserve God's grace or we've kept our act together long enough for him to save us, what it will actually steal from you is your ability to worship God. Because all of a sudden, you won't be as in awe of the gospel. You'll lose your gratitude for what Jesus did. And it will steal from you your willingness to fall on your knees and say, I worship you and I adore you. And thank you. The gospel is a gift. All this is from God. The second thing that we see in this passage is that the gospel is a result. It's a result. In this text, there's four times where there's prepositions attached to the word Christ. Four times where something comes related to Christ. Through Christ, in Christ, for Christ, and of Christ. And in verse 19... Paul writes these words, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. The gospel is a gift, yet, yes, but the gospel is also a result. It's the result of the person and work of Jesus. Listen, friends, the gospel didn't just happen. Something had to be done for this gospel truth to be true. And it was Jesus' work on our behalf. In other words, there's no good news apart from Jesus. The gospel is a gift that costs us nothing, but it's a result of something that costs Jesus everything. 
It's a gift and it's a result. And when Jesus went to the cross, he did three very important things. And the result of these three things is the good news that we can be saved. Number one, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. He walked right into that situation and he looked like he lost, but out of a moment of apparent defeat came the greatest moment of victory. Jesus at the cross, Christus Victor, he defeated death, sin, hell, and the grave. Second thing that he did at the cross is he substituted himself for us. He took our place. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death he, we should have died. And then he rose from the dead so that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can now dwell in you and me. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, which means there'll be many that come after him, all who trust and believe in him. So Jesus' substitutionary work, he did it in our place. Now, for most of my life growing up, I actually only understood this part of it, that Jesus died for my sins. I thought, well, he died for my sins. He cleaned my slate. And now it's up to me to fill my slate back up with as many good things as I can. That's exhausting. That's a really hard way to live. Because some days your slate looks pretty good. And some days, if you're like me, your slate looks pretty bad. And so if Jesus only died for our sins and only removed our sins from us, as wonderful as that is, that's not the full gospel. The full gospel is not just that he died in our place, but that he lived in our place. And that his perfect performance record can be ours. That his resume of righteousness is attributed to us. And so at the cross, here's the great exchange. Jesus is... is um, the, the Father imputes to Jesus our sin, our shame, our sickness. He bears the punishment for all of that, but he imputes to those of us who believe in Jesus, Jesus' righteousness, his perfect performance record. So at the cross, the mercy of God and the justice of God, the mercy of God and the wrath of God collide. Jesus voluntarily takes the wrath of God for our sins, and we get the mercy of God. And that's what happens at the cross, this beautiful miracle of the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ, what he did on our behalf. Here's what it means for us this morning, is that if you trust fully and solely in Jesus, if you're here this morning and your faith is in Jesus, he's at the center of your life, you trust in him and you treasure him above all other things, that when God the Father, the judge of the universe, looks at you this morning, he sees you not just as a better version of yourself, better than five years ago version of yourself, better than two weeks ago version of yourself. He doesn't see you as a Sunday morning in church version of yourself. Here's how he sees you. He sees you as if you lived the life that Jesus lived. His righteousness is imputed to you. We're perfectly righteous before the Father because of the substitutionary work of Jesus. That's what he had to do for us. And then the third thing that happened at the cross, number one, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. Number two, he substituted himself for us in life, death, and resurrection. And then number three, he exemplified for us the life that we should live. He gave us the most beautiful picture of sacrificial love that we could ever possibly see. These three things are called atonement theories. So Christus Victor, he defeated sin, death, hell, and the grave. Substitutionary atonement, he paid the price we should have paid, and we get his righteousness. And then the last one is called Christus Exemplar, which means we now have this beautiful example of how we should live. A lot of churches and denominations divide over those three things. I happen to think they're all true. <laughs> I like all of them. Why did he die? To defeat sin, death, hell, and the grave. How did he do that? He substituted himself. What is the result? We have this beautiful example of how we should live. So never forget what Jesus did. 
Salvation may be free to us, but it costs Jesus everything. And the danger of forgetting the gospel is that anytime we forget the gospel, it leads us into sinful attitudes and sinful behavior. We had a great class yesterday morning out there in the cafe, Discover Trinity, a bunch of new friends in our church who are learning about our church and how to connect and grow. And one of the conversations that came up in our time together was there was a statement in the book that said all sin is ultimately a gospel issue. And someone in the class said, well, explain that. What does that mean? I've not seen that phrase before. And so it gave us the opportunity to explain that when we sin, it's because at that moment of sin, something or someone is more central to our value, worth, and identity than Jesus. There's something about the gospel that we are forgetting. There's something that we're looking to to provide for us what Jesus already has and only can. And so gospel forgetfulness is one of the most dangerous things in the life of a believer. The more that we forget the gospel, the more likely we are to love and adore other gods, which always leads us into sin. And so every day we have to teach ourselves and preach to ourselves the gospel and remind us of this truth that the good news of the gospel is a gift, and then it's a result. And then lastly this morning, the gospel is an invitation. I'm going to ask Pastor Antonia to come on up and join me. I remember when I was, I think I was a seventh grader at Faith Heritage back in the day, and one of my friends, his name was JP, he came up to me and he said during school, he said, hey, um, my parents just told me that we won tickets to a concert tonight in Binghamton, and it was Petra, this Christian rock band that was like huge back in the day. And the opening act I was more excited about, the opening act was this up-and-coming young band called Newsboys. And what I knew about the Newsboys is that when they did concerts, their drummer was on a platform that would elevate up into the air and then go upside down. And so my friend JP was like, we have an extra ticket. Do you want to go? And I was, I, at first I thought, oh, it's a school night. It's Binghamton. My parents are never going to let me go. And I went home and I asked my mom and dad. And by the grace of God, they said, yes, you can go. I was so excited to be invited. Have you ever been so excited to be invited to something? I remember later in life, uh, I was invited to speak at an event in New Jersey. And I was just always honored to be asked to speak anywhere. But then they told me that the other speaker was Mariano Rivera, who was the Yankees' closer, who's a Christian. His wife's a pastor in New York, and he was the other speaker. And I can't tell you how excited I was. He spoke after me, so I tell everybody he was my closer. He was, he, that was his job in baseball. So there are certain invitations that we get excited about, maybe an invitation to the wedding of a dear friend or an invitation to a, a party or an opportunity at work. But the gospel is the greatest invitation of all time. See, some people look at the Bible and they see, they go to the Bible looking for instruction, and you'll find it, it's there. Other people go to the Bible and they're looking for inspiration, and it's also there. But the gospel reminds us that we need to go to the Bible for an invitation. There's an invitation. You and I this morning, no matter what you've done in your life up until this moment, if you've heard this a hundred times before, if you've never heard it before, you are invited this morning. You're invited into a story that began with a loving creator in a paradise garden. You're invited into a story that gives every human being inherent dignity, value, and worth, and also a mandate to bear God's image and to do meaningful life-giving work for those around you. You're invited into a story that was tragically but temporarily interrupted by the rebellion of humankind. You're invited into a story about God's sovereign choosing of a man, a family, a people, a nation through which he would bless the world and send his son. 
You're invited into a story for thousands of years about a people who would go to any end to run away from this God, but also a story about a God who would go to any end to run after these people. You're invited into a story about a king who left his throne to search for lost people, to rescue them, to renew creation, to restore hope, and to re-inaugurate the true kingdom. You're invited into a story about the sacrifice of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for the salvation of the world. You're invited into a story about the gift of the Holy Spirit who empowers the people of God for the mission of God. You're invited into a story about a king who will return someday to settle every score and to bring his kingdom fully to earth and to his people. You're invited into a story that started in a garden, but it ends in a city where everything will be made right. You've been invited in. This is the gospel. And Paul here specifically says, you've been invited to be reconciled to God. That's one of the key words in the passage we read, reconciliation and reconciled. And the word reconciliation implies something very important. Wherever reconciliation is needed, it means that there's been a breaking, a tearing, a pulling apart, a separation. And the scriptures say that we, because of our sin and rebellion, our nature of sin, by nature, we're objects of God's wrath. That we're destined to experience his wrath and separation from the Father, that we were enemies of God, that we were not passively against God, that we were actively against God. Yet while we were still his enemies, God sent his son Jesus to die for us. And because of the work of Jesus, we can be brought back to the Father and have right relationship with God. We can be brought back home. The invitation, to, the invitation is to believe and receive the gift of the gospel that is freely ours because of the results of what Jesus did on our behalf. And now as I finish, if you're here and you say, I've already received that invitation, I am reconciled to God, here's what else this passage says to us this morning. We've been invited to extend the same invitation to others. Do you notice Paul said to this church, you've been given two things. You've been given the message of reconciliation and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. My challenge to you this morning that are here and you follow and serve Jesus, what are you doing with those two gifts? What are you doing with the message of reconciliation that changed your life? What are you doing with the ministry of reconciliation that the Lord has entrusted you with so that we would, as Paul does, implore others, be reconciled to God, come back to the Father. This is where you belong. This is where you've always belonged. The gospel is a gift. We didn't earn it and we do not deserve it. The gospel is a result of Jesus' work on our behalf. And the gospel is an invitation. He's inviting us in. Let's pray together this morning.